Okay. So, so can I start by it, it, just asking who you're, who it is you're most worried about right now? Oh, well, I'm most worried about my brother, my sister, my son, my husband John. It's something we can all relate to right now. Every one of us has somebody who we're worried about during this unparalleled global pandemic. Somebody close to us, a loved one. But what if that loved one was currently in prison? Statistically, their physical health is much more likely to be poor than the general public. They're much more likely to suffer with a mental illness. And they're being held in what the former Justice Secretary Ken Clark called overcrowded slums. If you go back and you read any of the reports from the Chief Inspector of Prisons, you'll find some, some prisons doing some good stuff. But you'll find an awful lot... You know, as the Justice Select Committee say, in, in, a, in a state of crisis. Uh, the whole prison system is already in an appalling state of crisis. In this episode, which will be the first of a new series, we'll hear from those closest to the prisons to examine what the pandemic means for their 83,000 inhabitants. I'm Callum McRae and this is Unjust, a Justice Gap podcast. I mean, it's an unhealthy environment with un- with unhealthy people. My name's John Podmore. I'm a former prison governor. I worked in the prison service for 25 years, ran three prisons, including Brixton and Belmarsh. I was a prison inspector and I now operate as an independent prisons consultant. John began by telling me about why this pandemic could be so devastating to our prisoners. Well, you've got an increasingly elderly population for, for a kickoff. So you've got increasing number of prisoners over the age of 70 or over the age of 80. Um, and it's kind of generally acknowledged that if you're 16 prisons, it's equivalent to 70 on the outside. Um, so, so you've got an elderly prison population. You've got a concentration of people with poor physical and mental health. And you've got the problems of a large number with substance misuse issues. So it, it's generally a difficult population to manage in terms of health, regardless of, of, a, of a major outbreak of, of, of COVID-19. The risk of transmission is much higher inside a prison than out. As an environment for the transmission of a, of a virus like this, it's, it's, it's the perfect Petri dish. Because if you look at all the recommendations that are going out from the Prime Minister, from Public Health England, everything we're being sort of requested to do in terms of distancing and personal hygiene, it doesn't work in in a prison. You you, you can't do it. Access to soap, towels, forget alcohol-based sanitizer. You haven't got that, that opportunity. The likelihood of the virus sweeping through a prison is 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 huge i mean it is just highly likely that a larger and larger number of prisoners are going to be infected and the same for staff 15 percent of the prison population suffer with a respiratory condition and leading epidemiologists suggest the death rate in prison will be significantly higher than among the general population you haven't got enough breathing machines generally nationally so it's going to get to the point where the government and the hospitals are making some very difficult decisions. Do you save the 80-year-old elderly man or do you save the younger man? Obviously, you'd save the younger man because he's young. But then how does it work when someone's been convicted of murder and is serving a life sentence? Where will Alex fit in in, in that chain? Charlotte Henry's brother and Sally Halsell's son, Alex, 
is currently serving a life sentence for murder at HMP Whitemore. And we've always maintained his innocence. He's always maintained his innocence. But now, because he's been convicted, will that be taken into consideration when considering his right to life? They could literally die in there and mm. no one would know until they find them dead. You and me and Charlotte and Sally and John all have the ability to self-isolate to some extent. We can avoid people at the shops. We can keep our distance in everyday activities. But how do you do the same in a prison wing with perhaps hundreds of inmates and now as a result of the pandemic, a significantly understaffed prison service? It's been reported already that some three and a half thousand staff are off sick or self-isolating and that's about 10%. And that was last week and it was going up by by about 500 a day. So what does that mean? What does that mean for the for the prisoners themselves? Well, there are fewer and fewer staff to do the things that we are told are happening, which is getting out for half an hour, having a shower, making a phone call, getting some food. Now, that's staff intensive. I think there was like 100 off at Whitemore or something like that, Alex was saying, yeah. It basically means that they don't get out apart from they get out their cell for 30 minutes. In one prison, I believe they were given their breakfast, lunch and dinner together all in one big pot because they didn't have enough people to get to the cell to get them food. So they would get one pot of cold bits and bobs and that would have to last them the entire day. I spoke over the phone to a prisoner who didn't want his voice recorded, but he told me that all visits had stopped. They were on lockdown for 23 hours a day and he said it was, quote, soul-destroying. But that one hour when they weren't in their cells, there was plenty of opportunity still to spread and catch the coronavirus. So they're showering them en masse. So they're, sh- they're standing shoulder to shoulder, all the men, in work, well, I'm assuming yeah. big rows, like a, you can imagine a concentration camp would have been. They've taken away the social aspect, so they're not allowed out on social anymore, which is just 40 of them kind of on the spur, just chatting or whatever. Um, so they've taken that away, but then they've said, but you can shower shoulder to shoulder to get the same. Right. So, so, so there's still plenty of opportunity to pass the virus. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Like I would understand if they were if they were saying, right, you're all going to be showered separately, but shoulder to shoulder, there's nothing separating them. Something else the prisoner told me was that if you reported any symptoms, for instance, a headache, a cough, a, a fever, you'd go into complete 24-hour lockdown. That hour out of the prison cells is vital to speak to family, to shower, to exercise. So often, he told me, the prisoners will simply neglect to report those symptoms, risking further infection. We know there are cases, not just in the prison, but also on his wing now. Sue Beer's husband, John, is in prison, again claiming to be innocent, but the risk of infection is what's currently on his family's mind. Even though the prison is on lockdown, he's still part of the COVID-19 team who are going out doing like the the jobs that keep him like the key workers jobs within the prisons so he's going out and about and sort of you know possibly open to infection and the spread of the disease within the prison you just can't help but worry you know you hear all the the news and messages they're given about how long the germs can live on certain surfaces and metal especially for i think it's nine days or something they're saying now isn't it and as we know pretty much most surfaces in a prison are metal. So yes, it is it's worrying. What do you say to that view that's quite quite widely held in society, I think, more widely than we'd hoped for, is that actually these 
the the prisoners aren't the top of the priority right now you know this isn't a, a priority issue what what would you say to that well i'd say wake up and and and, and smell the coffee who's in prison it, it's members of the community passing through members of the community passing through by and large most of the people in prison are going to come out now what we need to remind ourselves that there are 60,000 prisoners a year come out of prison just as a matter of routine. That is the kind of turnover of prisoners coming in and out of the system. So they're coming out into the community, out of, a, of an environment which is a perfect petri dish for this virus. You know, intervention in prisons is not just helping prisons and prisoners, it's helping the, the community. You know, prisons are just a another community. They're a community where we are concentrating lots of society's difficulties in terms of mental health, physical health, substance misuse. And people are going there because the rest of society has, has kind of failed in dealing with them. But they're coming back. Like many other areas of society, the prison service too is under unprecedented pressure. Low staffing numbers mean complete lockdown seems to be a rational response. But what can 23 to 24 hours a day in lockdown do to a prisoner? I'm worried about her mental health. She suffers with her mental health. Diane, which is not her real name, spoke to me about her sister. I worry about Lisa committing suicide. They've, they've had so many suicides in there. And that worries me so much. How's she going to get through it? How's she going to cope? How are they all going to cope in there? How, how the staff are they overworked? So are they going to be compassionate with them? or? Are they going to be stretched? Are they doing overtime? You know, are they watching for the, the vulnerable ones with the, the mental health issues? It's just brought everything that we've always worried about when she first went in there. This has just come like a car crash. If you're locked in yourself for 23 hours a day, what, 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 I mean, from your experience, what can that do to a prisoner? Well, I mean, I've described it on Twitter as de facto solitary confinement. The toll that takes on you mentally, let alone physically, and let alone the potential of catching something that, particularly if you're elderly and not in good health anyway, is, you know, there, there's potential for all sorts of problems there that I don't think we've, well, we don't know because we've, we've kind of never been here. Her cell was actually once a cupboard, but she needs to be on the ground floor because of her disabilities. It was once a cupboard, so you can imagine how small it is. You know, it wasn't that long ago that her cell was leaking water, and I just feel like they're not on the same planet as we are. You know, I, I think general members of the public are going to begin to understand some of the problems of anxieties of solitary confinement in your, in your own home. The next episode of Unjust is all about the experience of being in solitary confinement. And John is by no means saying being locked inside your own home comes even near to that. For one thing, we still have the ability to communicate with our loved ones. If you're on constant lockdown and you, you don't have a phone in your cell, you can't maintain those family ties. You can't contact your, your family members, your kids, your, you know, your little bit of sanity on the outside. And it just worries me that this, you know people are going to be struggling mental health is an issue i think everybody's struggling in the current situation and you just think those poor guys family ties are a massive thing that keeps you going when you're on the inside what's clear is that experiences vary massively sue is able to speak with her husband every day but many aren't 
not all cells have phones and the calls don't come cheap like they do for us. It just upsets me to think that they're obviously making money on phone calls at a time like this when they need to be in touch with the families because they can't see the families and they're, they're spending so much money on, on telephone cars. There was people calling for, you know, free phone calls for all the inmates or subsidised phone calls because they're not cheap. The, the phone calls that the prisoners are able to make are sort of overinflated prices anyway. So that that's a struggle. I mean, wouldn't it be lovely because of prison visits are all out the window at the moment? Just would think it would be such an amazing thing if they could facilitate Skype calls for the inmates to make for their families. The two most important things to prisoners are probably visits and food. Now, visits have, have closed down and that's perfectly reasonable. You, you can't argue with that. But if I were a prisoner, say, OK, well, what's, what's, what's the alternative? How can I get in touch with my, my family? The prison service hasn't gone very far in alternatives to phone calls and letters. Phone calls, I, I've said, and I'm, I'm told things are improving. If you've got a phone in your cell, then, OK, I don't know how much it costs per, per minute. There were rumours that it was very expensive and prisoners don't earn a lot. OK, give prisoners extra credit. I think France has given prisoners 40 euros a month to make phone calls. Well, that, that's only any good if you've got access to the phone. And of course, it only takes one prisoner to lose their call or defy orders before chaos could ensue, causing more danger to guards, prisoners and eventually to the public. You know, if you've got half an hour to make a phone call and a shower, you, you know, you're, you're going to be a bit pissed off. You know, I've, I've just come back from my local Tesco and everyone's being wonderfully helpful and, and, and doing all the right things. You know, but even there, you, know, you talk to the, the counter staff and, and even they're getting some, some jip and abuse. Well, people in prisons, kind of, yeah, it's kind of a little bit more likely that you're going to get some jip and abuse. You know, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, prisoners don't, prisoners get by a, not a lot, but when it starts kind of breaking down and they don't see any end to it, then it becomes much more much more problematic. Already two prison officers have been hurt in rioting in a Scottish prison blamed on the tensions caused by the coronavirus. Earlier in March, 12 inmates died and 16 escaped as rioting hit Italian prisons. So what can we do and what lessons can we learn? There's talk about the, you know early release or temporary licence release for certain prisoners. And I, I do think that would be a, a really positive thing, obviously for the families and the prisoners themselves, but I think also for the, for the services. People think, you know, out of sight, out of mind, what happens in prison stays in prison. Well, it, well, it doesn't, because if people are getting sick and unwell and need hospitalisation, they're going to go into the very stretched NHS. You may have read that Iran has now released 85,000 prisoners on temporary leave in the fight to curb coronavirus transmission and to free up capacity within the prisons. If you're taking prisoners into outside hospital, then current security regulations mean that they're going to be handcuffed to two prison officers. Are you going to be a prison officer that's going to volunteer to take someone to outside hospital in handcuffs that's got coronavirus? So providing headroom in the prison estate, I think, is, is essential. 59,000 people that had got a jail sentence, 69% had committed a non-violent offence, 46% sentenced to six months or less. There are 50 women in prison who are pregnant. Now, I mean, I suspect 49 of those or 48 of those aren't particularly dangerous. In fact, after we recorded this conversation, the Ministry of Justice announced that 
pregnant prisoners and young mothers were set to be released. But many prisons experts and epidemiologists are calling for more early releases. So, you know, there is scope to release people. And I certainly think you could release sufficient women in the prison system to free up one or two women's prisons that could be kind of headroom facilities for the wider, the wider estate. What, what I will not underestimate is just how difficult it is for, for, the, for the prison system and the Ministry of Justice. There is no contingency plan on the planet that was ready for this. They are somebody's daughter, they're somebody's sister, they're somebody's mother. You know, we're all the same, we're all equal. It doesn't matter what mistakes people have made. We still have a right to be treated and looked after, and more so now. The prisoners need to be shown that they do matter. They must be so scared in there. At the time of recording, two prisoners have already died and 65 prisoners have been tested positive for coronavirus in England and Wales across 23 prisons. That doesn't include the 18 prison staff and four prison escort staff who've also contracted the virus. Constant discussions as to what happens next regarding prisons and prisoners are ongoing. We'll keep an eye out for developments and we hope to do a follow-up episode. In the next, though, you'll hear from two former prisoners who know exactly what it's like to spend 24 hours of a day alone and locked up. Thanks for listening to Unjust. If you liked what you heard, please do us a massive favour by sharing, recommending it to your friends and rating us on your podcast platform. This episode was produced by me, Callum McRae, with help from Axa Hussein. The original music was produced by Ed Starkey.